So I'm radically transparent with my team. If I have to make difficult decisions, I will tell them why and I'll give them the context as to why it's happened. And new, some of the new people that come in are like shocked. They're like, well, this is new. I'm not used to this. But my team, every time I do my like our HR person goes around and does like uh, gives them a safe space to give brutal feedback anonymously. It always comes back. This is the biggest thing they value is the transparency. And it means that when my team rally or we have a challenge and everyone jumps in to work together to solve a problem, it's because they understand why. They understand why we're in the situation, why the decision's been made. Welcome to the How They Lead podcast, hosted by Benjamin Wade and Ben Stocken. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of high performance, showcasing examples of how individuals and teams can reach their full potential. Together, they'll be inviting amazing guests who have defined or represented high performance in their own right. From world record breakers to individuals who have achieved first in their fields, the How They Lead podcast will showcase a diverse range of guests, each with their unique stories and insights to share. So join us as we challenge traditional ways of doing things, explore new ideas, methods and possibilities, and evolve the way people perform. Lauren, welcome. Thanks for joining us today on our our podcast, our latest episode, How They Lead. I'm hoping this episode is going to be as vibrant as that uh, wall arrangement behind you. It's pretty exciting to see that. Maybe dig into that a little bit later. Uh, as you're probably aware, we're inviting those at the, the rock face of leadership. Um, either they have designed, developed, they're building high-performing teams, been a part of that journey. We're trying to dig into their background and understand exactly how they lead, what they did well, maybe what didn't go quite so well. And then our listeners can tap into that knowledge base and take away those lessons to try and implement back within their own businesses or within their own teams or to be better individuals. So really looking forward to this episode and uh, great to have you join us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan of what you guys do. So it's awesome to be able to have this chat with you today. So thank you. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks. Well, look, like Lauren, you and I know each other from before the podcast, which is one of the reasons why I said to Ben, we have to have Lauren on the podcast. And I think everyone will understand why what, once we've finished in terms of the insights you're going to be able to share and, and your energy. And, and I think your, your unique approach to, to the way you operate and the way you lead and lead your people and, and grow your businesses. But to kick us off, no one, no one knows. Well, probably some people do, but it'd be good for our guests to know who you are, what you do and, and kind of your story so far. Yeah. I mean, um, thank you for that. Super kind. Yeah, sure. So I'm a, I'm a designer by trade, absolute designer, as you can see by my home office wall. I live and breathe. Every touch point is design um, an extension of your brand. I've known I wanted to be a designer since I was seven, I want to say. And I have relentlessly worked towards that. I think I got my first freelance gig when I was 15. I was fresh out of uni. I mean, I harassed every company in London for a job. And, and I mean, Ben, you know me well enough to know that I, I probably uh, was a real pain in their butt as well to, to get um, in the door because back then it was unheard of to get into the design industry. Out of the 30 people in my class, I think I was one of the five that actually managed to get a job in the industry when, when we were coming in. So um, 
I, I kind of just spent a lot of my career job hopping. I'm going to own that. Um, between different industries, I tried different design disciplines. I started in more visual design illustration. I moved into UX. I, I then went into research. Then I got interested in service design and how things fitted together. And then I went a level above that and said, okay, I want to know how business models work. How do you apply user research, business value, feasibility, go to market? How do you combine all those things into a strategy? And then how does it filter down into different touch points? Um, so yeah, I mean, I moved around. And I, I was client side, I was agency side, all different kinds of companies. Um, and I think I was the kind of the really, the real turning point in my career was working for a large consultancy. They hired me to be a glorified deck, deck designer, to, to be completely honest. And then they gave me an opportunity. I had an incredible leader there that gave me opportunities that I shouldn't have had for my age in my early 20s, where I was able to go into accounts and run their design discipline. And I'm talking big global accounts. Next thing I know, I'm the design consultant that's been flown all over the world to deal with the big projects that have fires on them or work with the uh, C-suite team to help them understand design thinking and you know designers don't just color in the boxes we do a lot more than that uh, uh, these days so yeah it was quite an interesting mixed career and then I kind of accidentally become an entrepreneur and I tell people this because uh, it uh, uh, was never my intention I'm, I'm just a nerd at heart really I set up Fearless with my previous co-founder with the intention this is just going to be this little side hustle that sits over here you know maybe it'll be something nice to get some extra cash in and you know we've got all of this business coming into our LinkedIn's and we don't know where to put it and then within six months it just blew up and I had to quit my job to run it my co-founder he was the person that was quite comfortable being in the spotlight networking making friends going to events and I was the person who was happy to sit in the cupboard doing the strategy stuff and the, the creative stuff <laughs> to be quite frank so we started with Fearless Talent the recruitment part of our business. And within a year, one of my key clients I'd worked with through two other consultancies prior to Fearless said, you know what, we actually need you to, to, to play design agency now. Can you just spin up this other business for us? And again, it was always my intention, but probably not two weeks after I just had a baby, I'll be honest. And it was just, again, it was demands, responding to the market, responding to what our clients needed from us. I had skills where I could assemble teams. I could lead design teams. I knew how these accounts worked, especially big corporates going through digital transformations. So that was born. And then the third business we have is Fearless Community. And that was born again in response to what was happening in the market. Suddenly, as designers, we are, we're used to being in situations where we're collaborating this post-its it's whiteboards it's on your feet workshops it's everyone getting involved all the disciplines all the users you know it's it's a big people role and suddenly we're told you're in lockdown you have to work from home and it was really difficult for a lot of us and that's when we spun up fearless community and said okay how do we create a space where people can still feel connected so we started to run free events with the design community on how to look after your mental health how to be productive at home and again it just kind of spiraled from from there really uh, so yeah that's that's kind of what I do I'm an accidental entrepreneur CEO uh, <laughs> of a company called Fearless with three businesses and a daughter okay okay yeah so yeah we've got Fearless Talent Recruitment Fierce is our design agency and then Fearless Community is kind of like what I call my charity projects where we team up with designers all over the world and do charity initiatives and my daughter is two and a half wow just to add to all of that yeah yeah yeah, I mean, 
you must have loads of spare time. So like, no. <laughs> um, so look, that, that's, that's, thank you. And, and I think that that kind of demonstrates one of the reasons why I said to Ben, we have to have Lauren on, on the podcast because you've got a fun, uh, like a load on your plate personally, business, business as well. And I can see obviously when you talk about it, the energy really comes across in terms of your, your passion, commitment and, and desire. So I'm really interested. And, and also I'm not going to let this go. You mentioned earlier about you had a fantastic leader when you were, when you were working for, for that agency that enabled you to have more opportunities than you think you, you should have kind of rightfully had at your stage in career. So what did that do for you? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I'm going to say something a bit controversial that might not make me very popular, but screw it, I'm going to own it. I don't believe in mentors. Okay. Don't believe in the concept of mentors that you can approach someone and say, be my mentor. I see it as more of a build a genuine relationship with somebody. You build a bond, you go through some difficult times and that mentorship is two ways. So this person that brought me into his team, I built a really close relationship with him. We went through some difficult times together as a team and as a business. And he believed in me and gave me these opportunities. He relentlessly had my back. Bearing in mind, my peers in this environment were people that were much older than me, different demographics, shall we say. And it meant that I needed someone that would have my back. If I'm telling them that, you know, a project's burning or I have to intervene here or this could happen, I can see the pattern, I can see the domino effect of what's happening. I need some support to interfere, or run some interference or you know, work with the stakeholder. They were they were big conversations and I needed someone that was prepared to to bat for me. And he did that. Not only did he put me into these accounts and give me these opportunities. I remember one account he put me in and he said, you know, just go deliver this three month project. Just feel this like lead UX role. I know you can do more, but just do me a favor and do this. So then he puts me into this account. I deliver this piece of work, but in the process, I build a really strong relationship with a client who ends up being another incredible person that then gives me an opportunity to run design for a huge part of this business. And not only run design, but work with him to educate execs of this huge global business on the power of design and why they need it. Um, And both of them, one being a client and one being my leader, they both gave me multiple opportunities repeatedly over the years. But what's really interesting and why I say I don't believe in the current understanding or labeling of mentorship is when I become a business owner and I went through, you know, the immense growth that you're forced to go through as a business owner, it then changed. Then I found that I was able to offer them value and teach them things that they weren't getting exposed to. Um, and so one of them now, like to more uh, my boss at the time, and he'll be listening to this. I know he'll be one of the first people to actually um, listen to this because he's one of my biggest supporters. Um, but he's he is actually an engineer in nothing to do with design, um, engineering and data. And he now runs his own business. So we are partners. I specialize in design. He does the other side. And him and I team up and deliver projects together. And that friendship has just paid off over and over repeatedly over the years. And it's way more than me knocking on someone's door saying mentor me. And it's someone that's not obvious. He's not design uh, related. Same with um, Richard Fryer, who supported me inside the account and gave me opportunities and had my back. He is from a project management background. But, you know, it's these people 
seeing you and giving you these opportunities it, it just it was a game changer for me I wouldn't be at fearless today had I not have had people like this in my career it sounds like you being empowered all those years ago empowered to operate on that account autonomously and having the trust installed into you was a real game changer into your success today how do you then or how has that changed the way that you lead and how do you get that across to to your peers colleagues those on your team do you find trusting others comes naturally and do you empower others as well create the overall success yeah I mean the other person that like really inspired me and influenced how I lead and I think Ben and I have had this conversation before it's a man named Ash Roots he taught me about this book called the five dysfunctions of a team oh my gosh this book changed my life I remember saying this to you Ben when I first met you and you were like this is what I do I'm like Oh, you must have heard about this book. But no, he (laughs) he taught me about this book and he showed me how he actually implemented it with a team. And at a super high level, it installed this philosophy in me that there has to be balance between autonomy and accountability. For me, it's important that I hold people accountable. So for example, I'll say to my team, I need you to get from A to B and I need it by this date and I need it at this quality level. Don't mind how you do it don't care who you want to collaborate with and how you who you involve. If you get stuck and you need a hand, tag me in, I'm there. Otherwise, I'll see you at B. And the more you hit B, the more autonomy you get, the more trust you get, because there's balance. I'm going to give you a bit, but you have to earn a bit. And, and we work together on this. And I've done this with all of my teams. And for me, it's how you get the most out of people. Like It's that and the transparency. So I'm radically transparent with my team. If I have to make difficult decisions, I will tell them why and I'll give them the context as to why it's happened. And some of the new people that come in, they're like shocked. Um, They're like, well, this is new. I'm not used to this. But my team, every time I do my like HR person goes around and does like uh, gives them a safe space to give brutal feedback anonymously. It always comes back. This is the biggest thing they value is the transparency. And it means that when my team rally or we have a challenge and everyone jumps in to work together to solve a problem, it's because they understand why. They understand why we're in the situation, why the decision's been made. So they're able to truly buy into it and invest in it. And it unifies us in such a powerful way. Like, yeah. Is that, that's a really long answer to, to your question. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think we've got, we've got lots there. A lot about yeah. well, the five dysfunctions all being based on trust as well. Although you mentioned the more autonomy people get, the more trust they, but then that pyramid and the five dysfunctions are all based on trust. So do you not give your trust 100% to somebody? It has to be earned, which then doesn't quite tie in with five dysfunctions all being based on giving up your trust straight away. I think it depends on the context. Say, for example, my junior designer says to me, Lauren, I want to run my own project. I'm like, okay, it's not that I don't trust you to do that. It's that you, I need to know that you are mentally supported and ready to do that and deal with the challenges. So I tell you what, I'm going to let you run this piece of the project and I'm going to give you the trust to do that. Show me you can get to B. Tag me in if you need help. I would rather you ask for help than, than drown. And when you do that, then I'll give you a bit more and then I'll give you a bit more. So it depends on the context and the level and what the ask is. Yeah, I think that's that's a really smart approach. And I, I think probably what probably what we're talking about there is actually showing people the horizon. And it's about responsibility rather than trust. So I think you're trusting them with a certain level of responsibility. That's what I'm hearing. But the trust is there. Get to A to B, but your your vision of the horizon is A to B is 100 meters down the footpath. Whereas when you're more senior and I know you're more capable, then yeah, go, go to the mountaintop. And I'll meet you there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's like, it's really interesting because with my, my previous team that I had before Fearless is when I really started to like 
kind of come into myself as a leader and put these things into practice. And I remember doing a talk on design leadership and I drew a little graph of like a change curve of, you know, so this is what happens. You know, you're you're plodding along, you're doing the tasks that you're used to doing, but you need challenge. You need to be challenged. You, you know, unless you've specifically chose to be an IC and you don't want to develop, I need to challenge you and I need to put you outside of your comfort zone and get to this point where you'd freak and go, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this. I don't have the answers. Uh, and then they come through it and they're like, wow, I did that. I feel super proud. I'm now at the next level and I, I, I know how to, 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 to move forward. Um, and when, with the, my previous team, I remember this one guy, phenomenal designer, phenomenal leader. I remember throwing him into the deep end of a project and him being uber stressed and ripping his hair out. Um, and my MD, she comes to me and she said, um, what have you done to him? You've broken. Like, why is he a mess? And I'm like, leave him. He will come to me when he needs help. He has to go through this and find his feet at his pace. If you dive in and take work away from him, you're never you're never going to enable him to develop. Um, he came to me literally hours later and was like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Okay, right. Let's map it out. Let's go through it. Let's work out your next steps. And then I'll kick it back to him and say, if you go this way, this is what's going to happen. If you go that way, this is what's going to happen. What do you want to do? And this also drives my team mad that I will make them have the decision of, Here's my opinion of how this will play out. They're like, oh, but then you're going to hold me accountable. Can't you just tell me? No, you have to learn and you have to develop. So you have to make the, the decision. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think just for just for everyone that's listening or watching, just to go back very briefly to to what we talked about the five dysfunctions and, and that book. If you haven't read it, grab a copy. It's by by a guy called Patrick Lencioni. Really like thin, usable book. It's written as a fable, as a story. I think it's about a marketing agency. And it talks about the, the, you know, what breaks a team. So it talks about the dysfunctions, but then it talks about how you can build a team and what Lauren, what you've just, just kind of talked us through there is effectively how you build from, you know, trust to positive conflict, to commitment, to accountability, and then to attention to results. And you very nicely, I think there demonstrated your, your thought process in terms of how you lead. And I, I, I would say that, that I would really resonate with that personally. I think the people who have worked with me in the past have probably worked with me today would say that it's very frustrating. Because like, if someone says to, to you, from what I've heard from you, is like, what's the answer? They're probably going to be met with a question. And the question is probably going to be, well, what do you think the answer is? Because kind of go back to, a, I think it was a Confucius quote, which is like, tell me and I forget, involve me. And I remember there, there's something in there. I forget the exact quote, but that sounds, that sounds like your ethos, which, which I think is, is really insightful. It was really funny. It makes me think of, um, so when Ash and I used to work together when he first taught me this book, we then broke off in our career and, and come back together in the future. And I remember sitting with my new team and his new team. And he looked at his kind of number two person and was like, you have to figure this out. I want you to come up with the answer. And then he looked at me and we said, Lauren, I need you to work out blah, blah. And then I looked at my number two and went, you need to figure this out. <laughs> and him and I just both looked at each other and laughed that I had clearly learned his management style and he was watching me implement it with my team and seeing the impact of him giving me this book and showing me how he implemented it and it was just one of those really surreal moments but yeah it's 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 one of those things I think for me it's all about buy-in as well with teams like whenever you're trying to I see so many big corporations go we're going to create a playbook this is how you do this and here are the principles of how we work and I'm like 
okay, great, let's run workshops and let's pull the people in and let's get them to input into what they think the principle should be and how they want to implement it. Because otherwise you're handing a team a group of rules and saying, follow this. Whereas if they're co-creating and buying into into that, you're much more likely to have it implemented and it's actually lost. At West Peak, we, we advocate leaders understand three key principles and you kind of Kind of in what you just said there, you've, you've highlighted all three. So self leadership, like, you know, you've got to be able to, to role model. And also, I think role models from what you shared have played a massive input in your development as a leader and entrepreneur and as an operator, as an individual contributor as well. Then there's a bit about co creation, collaboration, which you really nicely kind of described there as a leader, creating in collaboration the ways of working with the people that you're going to be doing it to rather than top down, this is how you need to operate. And then you talked a little bit about follow, followership. So I'm really interested to understand in your businesses now, you come across as someone who's very ideates, is very action orientated. How do you, how do you hold back from, from giving the answer to ask the question in the heat of battle? How do you, how do you follow? How do you do that? I'm a big believer in servant leadership. Like I always try to take the route of how do I enable you to do the thing? And I think every time my company grows and evolves and I'm stretched, I have to delegate more. It's kind of like um, I say to my team, like in a smaller startup, everyone's a generalist where you're a bit of a Swiss army knife and everyone gets involved in different parts of, of the business. And then as you hit another stage of growth, that breaks into two roles. And my role as a CEO is constantly breaking off into different roles. And I'm constantly having to relearn how to delegate and how to be a better leader. And I think, I, I don't know, I think I was a better leader when I was a design director. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm going to own that because I had the headspace and capacity to really be intentional with my team. What do they need? How do I use our team meetings? How do I bring them together? Where is something broken that I can fix or, or whatever? Whereas now I'm having to constantly learn how to do that at speed, do it on the spot, in the meeting, as it happens. And it's bloody hard. I'm not going to lie. It's really tough. Would you say that your leadership skills have changed then or you're just no longer an expert in your field? So as you've broken off like your, your Swiss Army knife analogy, you're now no longer the expert and you have to rely on others and the experts are those on your team. So your leadership skills are the same, but you're no longer the expert in your field. Yes. I guess what I'm saying is I'm an expert at design leadership. As a CEO, I look after operations, finance, marketing, um, designers, recruiters now as well, which was um, which I, bl I bloody love this team, but it's not my natural background. And they all have to be managed and led very differently. Their needs are different. Their processes are different. How they operate are different. So if you put me in a situation where I'm a design director, it's plug and play for me. You put me in a CEO seat where I'm jumping across all these different disciplines and my involvement in these disciplines constantly changes as my business changes. So when I'm when I was a bigger business before I scaled it back, I had dedicated leaders that looked after my marketing department or my my new business function or whatever. Now those are a key part of my they're a key part of my role. Um, and what I find is that means my patience is super thin. And maybe you guys can relate to this. I don't know, but when you when you're back to back and you're jumping across meetings and you're getting hundreds of messages a day, you're you want to be in a situation where you can go to your team right. 
it's this, you know, um, rather than having to think, okay, how does this person respond? How do I message them in a way where they're going to feel seen and heard? And I know this person needs a hug. If I have to pull them up on something, they're going to need a hug afterwards. I need to make sure they're okay. Or I know this person's going to try and kill themselves to do all the things. How do I take some stuff off them if I'm giving them? And you don't always have the time and the capacity to slow it down and really be intentional with what these people need because you're flying across so much stuff so I think it's very naive as leaders to say yeah I'm, you know I, I've learned the leadership skills I've implemented it I know what I'm doing you don't not if you're a business owner and not if you're leading a growing team you constantly have to relearn and you have to learn how to do it faster and more efficiently in my opinion yeah and I think I think you can always take that to to someone who is a first-time leader as well you know they, they can be at one stage, you've got individual contributor, whether they're sales, design, marketing, finance, whatever it is, like, great, you're really good at what you do. Uh, and, and sadly, the, the promotion is, the promotion often in a business is not, I'll carry on being an individual contributor. Like, it's often we need to build pyramids underneath you of people. So go teach those people how to be you. Uh, and you're right. Like, it, it's, it's a constantly evolving. It's a completely different skill set. It's completely different. And as you said, you can be plug and play in terms of your, your expertise but you've got to be very conscious about, as you said, who needs a hug, who needs to be held accountable, who needs the radical candor, et cetera. And so, and so that, that, that does burn energy, doesn't it? Like it burns calories, burns headspace. So um, I guess like the question I've got leading on Lauren is um, what's gone then? How do you do that? Because you have to do that. So otherwise you wouldn't have any people left in your business. So like help, help us, help our listeners. Like what, what triggers or anchors do you have that enables you to get that right most of the time? I think one thing I had to do was remove myself from the wider team as much as I could. Um, not in the sense of I still run the team meetings and I'll be really intentional and prep with my leadership team. Okay, what do we want to get out of the team meetings? What do the team care about right now? And, and so forth. And they're usually high energy and lots of fun. I'm sure they will agree with me on that. But in terms of my leaders, it comes down to how I onboard and interview them and being really clear on, hey, this is how I work. I'm ADHD. I'll have hyper-focus episodes in the morning. So avoid me in the morning if you're going to find that intense. Or prepare, prepare to be prepared to be like super productive. And this is who I am and this is how I work and this is what I believe. And they get to know me and realize that I can come off direct sometimes because I'm at capacity. And I think it's a balance. It becomes more of a balance because they are also leaders. They have to know how to manage up. I have to know how to support them, but they have to know in addition to how, how they support me. So I think we kind of meet in the middle where it's my job to know that this person's going to find this really intense for me today. I need to try and dial it down and focus my energy in a way that's helpful for them. But they also need to know that I have this condition and I can't always control it and if if that kind of answers the question I guess but I think the other thing is for me my focus is on enabling my leaders so I'll give you an example I have one leader in my business that they're incredible and I swear to god when this person got promoted the whole team cheered I've never seen a group of people be so happy for someone to be promoted because they deserve this they'd work their ass off for it and I started to watch in recent times their behavior shift and they weren't seeming themselves. Um, I knew they were overworking. They were working their weekends and evenings. I can see them online. I'm pulling them up going, stop doing that. If you are if you have to work an evening, take the time back the following day. We're not about that. Well-being is important to me. 
and I just could not get through to this person. Then I take them off individually, normally out of the office. I take them for lunch or for dinner or whatever. And I'm like, okay, what is going on with you? Why are you doing this? What's what's making you feel that you need to do this? Um, and then they come out and say, I just freak out when there's gaps in my diary. I'm a director now. I should be busy. And I'm like, no, you are a chess player. You are not a doer anymore. Part of what you do is a doer, but you are a chess player. I need you to have headspace, to be able to think proactively. I need you to look for those gaps. I need you to block them out. Because if you want to level up and be the best, that I don't need you to work over hours and kill yourself and say yes to everything. I need you to be smart. I need you to think about how you protect your time so that you are looking at the opportunities, the risks, so that you are in a better position to support your team and foresee what's coming. And the change in that person since having that conversation has just been awesome. And I can see them stepping into their role. But this, again, seems to be a pattern. Sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole, but <laughs> it might. Nice, be but this seems to be a pattern with new people coming into their roles as well, new directors. They go through this, okay, I need to overwork. I need to do everything, say yes to everything, every gap in my diary. And I'm like, look, I need you to do the opposite. A chess player. I like that. I'm 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 sold. Like I need you to be a chess player. That's going in my that's going in my feedback. That's going in my one to one. Like my checklist. I need you to be a chess, chess player. player. Yeah, golden. Thanks, Laura. Uh, I had a question from something that you, you mentioned earlier about ADHD. And before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, quite often someone with that, that condition might be an amazing entrepreneur in terms of creativity. So how have you found it now that uh, you've grown the scale of these businesses that actually you probably need a lot more structure, it's probably more formal. So you've almost moved away from that entrepreneurial spirit or been allowed to use your creativity and now it's a bit more structured. How have you found that? No, I'd say the opposite. Okay. I'm even more entrepreneurial, even more creative than I've ever been. And I think, so I only got diagnosed with ADHD October last year. So I've always just thought I'm just a bit quirky, a bit of a weirdo, you know, I'm a bit marmite, people love me or hate me and I, I own that. But actually understanding that I'm ADHD um, and that glass shattering made me re-look at my life in a, through an entirely different lens. It made me understand why I'm good in agency, startup world and why I'm good at being someone that can go into a company and disrupt. You know, the saying, you've got to break a few eggs, make an omelette. Yeah. I'm great at that. Put me in a big corporate and ask me to pay play politics client side probably not a good decision and I think it finally helped me understand myself it gave me a whole new level of self-awareness that I didn't even know was possible and I think again for me it's about balance as someone with ADHD I tend to be drawn to other neurodiverse people without even knowing so I hired a load of neurodiverse people before I knew I was neurodiverse before any of them knew they were neurodiverse because I see them. I see their energy. I see what they're capable of. I know how to work with them. I know how to enable them. But what that meant is I then have a responsibility to these people. If I truly believe in diverse teams and the power of neurodiverse people within teams, I have a responsibility to be honest about the impact of what it means and where it's a strength and where it's a weakness to create a safe space for them, but also to make sure that the wider team know how to support them. So for example, I have combined ADHD, so I can be hyperactive or inattentive. I mean, I really hate those labels, but it kind of is the most known labels, I guess. But for hyperactive, it means that I can think about 10 things at once. I can read a book, listen to music, text on the phone whilst I'm having a conversation all at once. Or it means as a business owner, I can think about, okay, so if marketing does that and finance does that and this does that, then these are how all the pieces could connect and 
it also means that I'm really good at seeing patterns of, okay, if that happens, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And one of my team members call it, uh, she calls it my crystal ball that it's, it's frustrating because I'm like, okay, so if you do this, this and this, this is going to happen. And then they do it and it does and they get really annoyed because they're like, <laughs> right, it's so annoying. So there's that. And then there's the fact that um, the other thing that makes it good for entrepreneurs is you have this like, with ADHD, it's one extreme or another. You uh, you know that they say you either, you either overeat or you don't eat. You either overexercise or you don't exercise. It can be very uh, extreme in your behaviours. So one of the extremes is you can be really good at reading other people like again this drives my team mad because i'll catch like these really little micro interactions in their face that split second don't make any expressions <laughs> that's what we're trying to be yeah, yeah, yeah. blank faced but it's like, that second they don't want me to see and i go you right i can see that what is that tell me what what are you concerned about come on let, let's get it out and they're like oh, i wish why could she do that but then there are other times it can go the other way where i can go into a rabbit hole because i'm excited and i can't control the thoughts because they're <laughs> i can't stop my brain from like getting excited about all the things and it can be really intense and overwhelming and have the opposite impacts of like deep empathy and and so forth so it's um it's interesting and i think knowing that i'm adhd and knowing that these are episodes prevents me from going home and going oh, why did you say that why did you why was you awkward then or why, why were you being intense and you know I used to destroy myself over this and think why can't I you know do that thing and or when I made that comment and that person said oh you come across arrogant and I'm like oh my gosh and if, if you know me you know that I will actively ask people for feedback and you know that that can't be true but it's um I destroyed myself for years over, why can't I do these things? But now knowing this gives me so much power to not only help the people around me and my team that are neurodiverse, but also a brain hack. I, can I say that? A brain hack? Yeah, maybe. I, if I know I'm in a hyper-focus episode, I plan all my ideation stuff then. If I know I'm going to go into inattentive, that's when I'm good at going into rabbit holes of unpacking deep, strategy datary stuff and I can just get lost in that for hours so I can leverage my episodes on what tasks I have to do but also telling my team I'm in an episode it gives them power to know that okay she's not in a mood or because I I don't know again I'm going down a rabbit hole here but I don't know how about you guys but when you are in a, a business owner leadership position everyone absorbs your mood if you come in with a toothache and they don't know you've got a toothache they're like (laughs) Who upset him? Should we be worried? What's going on? And you can just change the whole mood in in the office. I think everyone should be able to relate to that in more simplistic terms, just the circadian rhythm and whether you're a night owl or a morning person. And unless you know your your colleagues and your team members, where they operate more effectively in the morning or the evening, if you're giving them critical tasks at the wrong time of day, actually that productivity is going to be 180 out and it's going to be horrific for the success. So just understanding that, similar to as you've just explained, on a more basic level, just getting that timing right. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think there's like there's a there's an individual self leadership responsibility in everyone, whether you're in a, a leadership role, whether you're an individual contributor, or whether you own a business. That actually you can. Someone said to me, um, one of my mates, Chris. He he said to me, you can either in this life you can when you walk into a room you can choose to be a thermostat or a thermometer. You choose. And that like he told me, I think that was like ten years ago, and it's just stuck with me. It's like every time. Every time you go into a room, you can either like read the room 
like be you know be a thermometer and be like oh how do I, how should i act or you can make a decision to set the tone but as you say like actually if, if you have if you have something that impacts that not like a toothache or an adhd episode or whatever it might be stuff going on at home like actually hiding that because the culture that has been created does not in not not engender that that transparency that's that's really toxic because actually get people not wanting to speak up not wanting to speak out and share so i think you role modeling you know how how your adhd might impact as a strength but also as a as a challenge for for your coworkers and employees i think that that, that that's really important that transparency is key and i think we've just uncovered and highlighted the importance of really knowing your peers colleagues and your team but not assuming or thinking you know, but actually really knowing on a far deeper level and then working out who are the experts and why, what's their skill set. I think to that point, it's there's so many different kinds of leaders and I think the worst thing you can do is try and embody someone else's leadership style. You've got to find what works for you. And the one thing I love about my leadership team is we're all very different leaders. I'm the leader you send in when you want to get everyone excited and empowered. Nick, my COO, he's the leader you send in when you want to chill everyone out and calm it down. You know, um, Laura, she's the leader you send in when you want to unpack everything and pull it all out. And, you know, we, we, we all have our strengths and we know how to play and we'll come together and go, OK, who's the best one to go tackle this situation? It doesn't mean that we don't try to develop different leadership skills in other areas, but it's as a leadership team, knowing how we play to our strengths, I think that's important. We don't try and mimic styles. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, the unique piece of the puzzle coming together. Oh, puzzle, chess and puzzles. I love it. I love it. Lauren, like I, I want to carry on on this thread about, about leadership styles, but I also want to move us on to a new, a new thing we're going to try in the podcast. Okay. So if it falls flat on its face, it's Ben's fault. Yeah. So what we're going to do, we've got a bit we're going to call sentence finishes. So one of us is, we're going to take it in turns to say a sentence and we'd just like you to finish it with like instinctively. So I'll kick us off, all right? And you're going to go instinctively and then Ben will go second. Are you ready? Okay. To lead well, you have to... Nice. Feedback is... Feedback is necessary, important. I wish I could hire... Skill. Really interested in industrial design at the moment and how that interjects with digital design. I think that's a really interesting space. Person, can I hire Ben? Okay. Okay. Discipline or motivation? Motivation. Oh, okay. The future is? The future is ours for the taking. That is great. The best <laughs> advice is? Resilience. Work on it, build it. My biggest mistake oh, was? Oh, top. Oh, gosh. My biggest mistake was? Oh, gosh. Not moving fast enough in the sense of you know what the difficult decision is. You try and put it off. You try and put workarounds in. It's a bold move. You know it's big and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. And when you do it, you go, I should have done this 12 months ago. It's my biggest mistake is always not doing the bold thing when I know I should do it and just listen to my gut. Making a decision. And I think that's a beautiful place to end. Lauren, thank you so much for spending this time sharing your insights, your journey with us. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this, guys. I have one more thing that I just want to add for you. I listened to your last podcast, which is bloody brilliant, by the way. For an ADHD person to make it for a whole podcast, that's quite an achievement. So thank you for that. But there was one comment you made in your previous podcast about work harder and not smarter or your different takes on this. And I want to leave you with my take, if I can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My take is work harder at being smarter because 
as you develop as a leader, everything is about how do I become more efficient and optimize my time to get the most out of it. I like that. I like that a lot. Work harder at being smarter. Lauren. What a good ending. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the How They Lead podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and learned something new about the world of high performance. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And don't forget to subscribe to the How They Lead podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Until next time, keep pushing yourself to reach your full potential and evolve the way you perform. And remember, just because something has always been done a certain way doesn't mean doing it a new way can't work. Yeah.